cliffcentral.com. Is this thing on? You're listening to The Bounce Show. It's live. Well, not this bit, but it's live on clivecentral.com. Um, it's Cliff Central, Platt. <clears throat> Sorry, scrap that, delete it. Cliffcentral.com. Uh, you know, you start the year badly when you try to talk and the microphone's not even on. Welcome to a 2017. Thanks for joining me. We're here on The Bounce Show. First one. I'm sorry I wasn't with you last week, but uh, I came back from holidays and there was so much to do, so much to organize. There was uh, new songs to choose. Okay, that took me literally like 20 seconds, just the song I have on my phone, but it's a good one. Michael Gondry, Beautiful. So I told you last year towards the end I was going to change the show up a whole bunch and then I got a whole bunch of messages and emails saying, Ben, you can't change it. It's a sports show. We're going to need sport, sport only, not enough sport on Cliff Central. So like all feedback, I took it very constructively. Um, I took some uh, suggestions with a pinch of salt and even sort of, uh, well, enjoyed some suggestions that people think that I'm going to use this totally just to haul myself out and monetize it towards free stuff. Well, I'm not going to deny any of those things. I will do that and more. But the whole thing is, is to give you a show which is like some of you say, well, you know, every week I listen to the show called The Bounce Show on Cliff Central because I get great sporting insights and I get great things from this guy called Ben. That is the only reason that I wake up in the morning is to give you something that's going to be useful for you. So if you've got any misgivings towards the show changing in any way that's going to become something you don't want, have no fear. I've always got your thoughts in mind. Yeah, I do. Right. So while I gather myself for the show today, today we're going to start off very, very slowly, okay? So we're not going to have many changes. I did have a guest lined up. Unfortunately, he could not make it. Uh, we had a bit of a scheduling uh, issue. So today, first show, first bounce show of 2017, we are going to talk about the year ahead. Now, 2016 was a big year. It was actually, it was ginormous, really. There was the Olympics. There was the Ryder Cup. There was all the majors in tennis and golf. There was uh, cricket T20 World Cup. Um, yeah, it was one of those years where you look back and go, wow, we took a lot in. Well, we're not taking as much in this year, but there's still so much to look forward to. So today's show, this week's show, is all about just getting your ducks in a row. Uh, and when you look at the corresponding blog post, you'll be able to diarize all the big things. So that is what we're looking at. So when it comes to rugby, football, golf, tennis, motorsport, all kinds of things, this is going to be your grounding point. This is your... This is your first step towards 2017 sporting fantabulousness and all that kind of stuff. We've already had so much and it's been all of, what, 16 days of January? Uh, yeah, 16 days of January. Over the weekend, I was at the SA Open and it was incredible. It was just so amazing how one, one amazing sports star can just change so much for a sport mad country. Of course, I'm talking about Roy McElroy. Uh, he was a guy that was just, you know, there was always so much hype around Rory coming to the country and in the beginning it was speculation and then it was like, okay, he is coming. And then he arrived and wow, what a fanfare. There was like a hundred people who woke up at 6.30, okay? No, sorry, obviously woke up before that. Not David Makuda, he didn't wake up at all. But uh 6.30 on the first tee for the BMW SA Open, there was a crowd of like a hundred people waiting to watch Rory in a pram. The crowds got bigger and bigger and bigger. And if you watched the golf yesterday, which uh, if, you, if you didn't, try find it on catch-up or highlights. There was thousands upon thousands of people lining the 18th hole at Glendale yesterday to watch this guy in a playoff. Unfortunately, Roy did not win it. Uh, look, the crowd in places was a bit rough. Well, the defending champion and Rory right by each other. He's absolutely fucking smoked. Yeah, so, you know, for the European tour to kind of be in the East Rand of Johannesburg, obviously there's some things you need to accommodate for, but it was, it was so cool. Now, if you go onto my Instagram feed, um, subtle plug, uh, just the bounce on Instagram, I took a whole bunch of videos and photos. I basically crossed the line for you for being the media guy on the sidelines. I, I kind of sneaked a bit more into the fairway to kind of give you some better pictures and some better videos, but it was one of my greatest ever sporting experiences was walking inside the ropes. This last weekend with Rory McIlroy, what an absolute champion. Uh, I'm a bit sad that uh, he didn't go on to win it, mostly because I put money on him and uh, I don't like losing money. Yeah, so that was just so, so huge. So we'll get into that a bit more with the golf feature. Um, but what I do want to start out with is rugby. 
Now, as you all know, rugby last year was a terrible year for South Africa. Everything on the South African interest, barring the Lions, was just dreadful. The Springboks were horrible. Super rugby in, in general was horrible. Curry Cup was, ugh, who cares, limp thing on the sideline. And then the end of year tour where we lost to Italy. Uh, new low, new low. <laughs> but this year, what we're going to look forward to is there's a whole new sort of, um, I don't know, let's call it way rugby is going to be physically played. Because the tackle rule, the tackle law, now I don't really watch the Northern Hemisphere rugby because I think it's, oh, it's just better things to do with your time. It's more like, you know, rugby hipsters watch that whole French top 14 or whatever it's called. But the whole thing is they've already started implementing these new tackle laws where if you come into contact with the head or you go a little bit high, you know, there's just zero tolerance now. So you have to now tackle low like they treat you like the teacher in junior school. So people are saying, you know, because I haven't really committed to the rugby season just yet. People are coming and are going, you know, what's this all about? So I found a video for you, which we're going to kick off things because whatever we talk about rugby from here on in, it's going to incorporate new tackle laws. So best we become au fait with it from the start. I'm joined here pitchside by today's referee, John Lacey. We're going to talk about the new head high tackle directors from World Rugby. John, thanks so much for your time ahead of kickoff today. What's changed from a referee's point of view in terms of how you interpret head high tackles and how you sanction them? Um, not a lot from our point of view. We got very clear directors from World Rugby and Alan Roland in November, which we implemented in the Autumn International Series and since. Just a real focus on, on, on the, tackle, the tackle area, especially around high shots and charging with the shoulder and any type of tackles that are dangerous around the head area for players. Okay, two new categories, uh, accidental and reckless. Accidental, first of all, if a player makes accidental contact with an opponent's head, even if the contact starts below the line of the shoulders, a player may still be sanctioned. So we've got a clip here to explain that. Owen Franks, All Blacks v Ireland in the Dublin Test Match. Why is this incident a penalty and not, not more serious? Yes, the player here just comes in, as you can see, it's just high, it's not much force in it, so for me it's just above the, the shoulder line, it's, it is dangerous, it is foul play, so it's just a penalty. So players have to be careful about making contact in this sort of area? Yes, even, even if, it's, if it's high and it moves above into the head area, it'll be a penalty sanction minimum, depending on the force involved. Okay, let's get to reckless, a uh, more serious situation, there's minimum sanction, yellow card. If a player knew or should have known there was a risk of making contact with the head, but did so Anyway, this applies even if a tackle starts below the line of the shoulders. Minimum yellow, maximum red. I mean, this is the more serious area, isn't it, of where course, players yeah. have to be far more careful? Yes, indeed. I mean, I'll go back to the word I used originally, was the, is the force. Okay. That will determine the, the, the severity of the sanction. So if we look at the second clip here now, we'll be able to see it. Okay, this is Fritz Lee playing for Claremont Tavern in the top 14. So in this clip here, it is always high and there's an element of force involved and it's always at the, the head area. So for me, this is a yellow card. Okay, so that today, if that happens, uh, we should be seeing a yellow card for that kind of tackle, perhaps previously not. Okay, let's get into the red card situation, uh, yeah. a more serious incident here. Um, this is the infamous incident, Malachi Fekatoa in the Dublin yeah. Test match in the autumn. Uh, it was a yellow card on the day, now a red. Why? Well, as you can see, as the player comes in, there's a swinging arm element to this uh, tackle as well. It's high, it's dangerous, and there's, there's an element of force in that tackle. So that, for me, is a, is, a, is, a, is a blatant red card based on the severity of the force of the impact and the swinging arm. John, we really appreciate your time, and we wish you a card-free game today. Thanks for your Hopefully. time. Welcome. Yeah, thanks, John. Um, so you know what this means, right? New Zealand are fucked because all these guys do, they have been doing it for so long, you know, the Auckland swinging arm and stuff. These guys are strong and they're built and they're very abrasive. And it's always been the South Sea Island slash New Zealand way of just going in there and hitting you quite hard around the chest area with some sort of, you know, creative use of the, of the straight arm. I know I'm generalizing hugely here, but whenever there's a rule change that could possibly, I don't know, <laughs> neutralize the All Blacks and what they do and can take the players of the field, I'm all for it because this is the only way we're going to get back into world rugby. We all know New Zealand are the best. And, you know, you look at all the big things that are happening this year, you look at that and go, well, they're going to keep winning, aren't they? So very interesting to see how this kind of gets uh, policed, I guess. You know, not a lot's kind of changed. People have become quite sensitive to the high shots, but now there's just a zero, zero tolerance whatsoever. So even if it's kind of accidental and arms come into contact, you look, you, there's a good chance you're going to get a yellow. And um, it does make for interesting sort of conversation points because – if people are going to focus on lower tackles, there's less chance of sort of hitting the ball, uh, less chance of sort of stopping someone from getting a pass away. So what this means, 
sorry, what this means is that the game might get a little bit faster. The ball might become a bit more available and, uh, how people sort of organize the defense is going to be very different, which ultimately will probably make New Zealand even stronger because that's where they do their adapt best. But we had all of last year, we spoke about why New Zealanders are great, but I, I do like it. And, uh, I think for too long, I think some of the, let's just call them Australasian teams have gotten away with this a bit too much. Um, there's no ways that these guys are so professional that they, can't aim their, their tackles the right place. So it's definitely been a bit of strategy and, it's, and they definitely do play quite rough within or without the laws. So that is going to be so interesting to see how this develops into changing the face of the game. So let's look into rugby for the year 2017. Now I know you're not excited about Super Rugby, but this year we're going to, we're going to, we're going to walk through this one hand in hand because we are playing Super Brew this year. Now I haven't played Super Brew in quite some time. Mostly because I've been dabbling with um, actually gambling. Well, I say gambling; it's it's betting. It's putting money on it, which led to uh, severe anxiety and uh, well, <laughs> it's just I'm not going to do as much anymore. So we're going to play Super Brew this year. We're, I've got a bounce pool. If you go onto uh, Super Brew right now and just find the bounce, it's just what's all it's called. That's that's it. So through that, I will have prizes for you, and we're going to play this because Super Rugby used to be a great thing. And I really believe, to quote Donald Trump, we can make Super Rugby great again. We all know the format screwed and Sanzar, those money-grabbing, horrible men in suits have been taking this far too far as far as teams are concerned. But it's all we got, right? So in 2017, we can bitch about stuff or we can just get on with it. So I'm far more in the latter camp. Let's go, let's get on with it. Let's try to make Super Rugby more interesting and uh, let's pick these results week to week because on the show... I will be featuring uh, various picks and suggestions and how people are doing. So get in that pool. It is the bounce pool on Super Brew, and we're playing it throughout Super Rugby. So it kicks off 23rd of January. So the first game will be on a Thursday, which doesn't bode well for the tournament if you've got to play a game on Thursday straight up. But that will be the Rebels versus the Blues. Uh, Thursday, February the 23rd. That will then take years customary break during the June Internationals. And then Saturday, the 5th of August, there will be a final of Super Rugby. Interesting to see if any of the South African teams could feature in that. Um, could be the Lions, you know, if they can build on that and they're not having too many injuries uh, and they can just take a lot of learnings from last year. I reckon these guys have got a good chance. They really do. So um, Stormers are going to play on New Zealand sides. They've got no chance. Uh, Sharks, difficult to see what they can really do, but they are rebuilding. The Cheetahs just haven't got enough big name players, big enough squad. And the Bulls, well, they've got Andre Pollard back. Uh, yeah, and Serpentine will be back as well. Jesse Creel, he's going to have a great season, I'm sure. Injuries last year, so they've got a good young side, um, the Bulls, and they could do a lot of could do a lot of good still. So that's Super Rugby. Like I said, we're going to just try and enhance it a little bit with a little go towards Super Brew. We've got that pool in there. Other things to look out for rugby wise this year. Well, it's a biggie for the Six Nations. It starts February the fourth, goes through to March 18th. Now, England, if they win this, they go all the way through. They basically are going to be the most successful rugby team in the world right now. Their final match will be in Ireland. So if they go, they're already, um, I think it's 14 on the trot already. So if they carry on through and they win that final match in Ireland and end as Six Nations champions and unbeaten, they will eclipse New Zealand's uh, record. This is a big thing to look out for and, of course, be a huge motivation for Eddie Jones and his team. Again, a couple of injuries that uh, has sort of robbed the team of some stars over the autumn internationals. They should all be ready and back and firing. So 4th of February, Six Nations starts, goes through to 18th of March. Rugby Championship, which is basically New Zealand's tournament. They've won it every time. The Rugby Championship, of course, was the successor to Tri-Nations. And, uh, well, there is just no competition in this one. The Rugby Championships is essentially settled as soon as um, New Zealand beat Australia away. Because uh, that's sometimes been the game they've lost, and uh, from there, well, they win everything. Interesting to see if any of these teams can really kind of um, contribute to make it a bit more comp- competitive. Because New Zealand, although they have gotten better, we made a good point last year. Is that other teams have kind of regressed. Australia haven't got the depth, and they kind of have regressed. They got absolutely hammered by England, and it sets sort of a dodgy um, precursor to the rest of that season. Argentina, well, slightly like the Bangladesh of of, of world rugby when you think about it. In that they've been given opportunities to play big teams. They're not getting better, though. They're kind of staying on the same level. They showed it during the Autumn Internationals when they went overseas. They weren't beating teams like Scotland. They weren't beating teams like Wales. Kind of hoped that they could kick on, but they haven't done so. Sure, they've been quite plucky in the rugby championships. And uh, they definitely profited from the fact that the box had gone backwards. So even though they did finish last this last year, they were always quite competitive. And Springboks, well, 
it's going to take some time until they can beat the All Blacks. <laughs> we went into that more than enough last year. So those are your big sort of uh, fixtures to look out for. Rugby Championship starts 20th of August and will go right through until the 8th of October. And then it's the Lions Tour. The British and Irish Lions, they go to New Zealand for what is one of rugby's true great spectacles. Okay, So we all know every four years they go somewhere, either Australia, either South Africa, either New Zealand. And that is all the home nations, so to speak. They all come together. And they try as they might, they don't really win. Uh, well, definitely not New Zealand anyway. So the first game there, of course, it's one of those old classic tours, right? So they go and they play the midweek games, they play the smaller unions, and it all builds up into this crescendo where they play the three test matches. So the Lions tour will take place on the 3rd of June, and that will go through to the 8th of July. And uh, although New Zealand are very much favorites for this one, it'll be so interesting to see how this is going to work because Warren Gatlin is the coach. So he's the guy going to be in the middle there. You can have um, a core of English players, obviously, because they're the best team up there. And then there'll be some interesting uh, selections as far as who from Wales makes it in because of Gatlin being the coach. Ireland's still got some very strong players. Of course, Johnny Sexton, you're going to think he's going to be in the mix there. Uh, this is an Irish team that beat the All Blacks last year. They beat the Australia net last year. Uh, they would have beaten um, South Africa last year if they played them. At home, of course, they beat them away in that one match. So Lions definitely going to have something in there, uh, whether they can... You know, really actually convert into New Zealand test series win. Highly doubted. But then we've got the sevens. So the seven series already kicked off. Uh, did so in December. So in Dubai, SA won that. And then in South Africa, England won that. Unfortunately, SA didn't kick on there. The next one is going to be 28th, 29th January. And that'll be in New Zealand, the Wellington sevens, which has become a bit of a, a bit of a lame event, really. Now they've got issues with, um, alcohol abuse in, in New Zealand and spousal violence and all that kind of stuff. We don't get into that, but they've got issues as far as when you can drink in New Zealand in the stadiums, whether you can drink in the seats. And eventually people are going, well, screw it. If I can't get hammered, what's the point? Because that's what sevens is. Sevens is a party, right? Sevens is very much a rugby sideshow. I know it's a great thing, but let's just call it what it is. It's a bit of a gimmick to the greater scheme of things in world rugby. It's fantastic to get people into the game and get people watching it, and it's very exciting. But you need to call it what it is. It's a party. New Zealand don't quite understand this. Um, you know, the Wellington Sevens, people obviously go there and they dress up in the cake tin, but they've got some issues. And ticket sales have been particularly slow for that. So we just going to see if this one stays in the calendar because it could be taken up. Sevens is a growing game. And uh, definitely other nations will probably come into it. So 28, 29, that's New Zealand. 4th of Feb to the 5th of Feb, that'll be in Australia. They're playing in Sydney this time around. 3rd to the 5th of March in the USA, it'll be the famous Vegas Sevens. And then Canada, 12th and 11th of March. Hong Kong Sevens, 7th to 9th April. That's been the big bogey tournament for the Blitzbox. So if they do look to try to win the overall title this year, they've got to try to get over the hoodoo there. 15th to 17th April, they go to Singapore. 13th and 14th of May, they go to France this year. And then 20th, 21st of May, they're in England. So that is just seven circuit. All looking very good on the rugby front. Eh? So we got all the usual stuff. There's Curry Cup in there, of course, as well. There'll be Craven Week in there as well, if you are into the more sort of developmental stages of rugby. But uh, the Lions Tour is going to be the big highlight. Lions Tour, how England are going to go in the Six Nations. And, of course, on top of all of this, how is this new tackle law going to work? Because, as you know, if we, you can't make contact with the head and the tackle, rucks are going to change completely as well. None of this spinning a guy around uh, the shoulders and stuff because that leads to neck contact. And also how people are going to manipulate this. Are they going to duck into things? Are they going to play act that they've been sort of neck rolled in rucks? All very, very difficult. So that's rugby. Hey? That's your 27 rugby to look forward to. We're going to go into the cricket now, and this sure, the year the year has barely started, and there's so much happening in SA cricket. But just for a little lighter intro here, we're going to get Aussie Man painfully reviewing a whole bunch of nut shots in cricket. One right in the balls. The Pakistani batsman says sorry, not sorry, as Cartwright tries not to vomit everywhere. He checks if he still has a dick. You can really understand why this position is called silly point. You'd have to be fucking insane to be passionate about fielding here. Here comes a fast bowl. Oh, he's hit that into his own baby maker. Surely that was not the master plan. This has got to be a certain catch. No, he's not going to make it. It's heading for the dick. Got it! <laughs> that was a cunt of a trick shot. Gee whiz, his teammates are happy. It had nothing to do with their bishops. This Sheila is like, OMG, that was so funny. And then she makes a cock of herself trying to sit down. The dick gods are dishing out instant karma. Oh, fuck that! 
Fuck it! No, 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 no! Fuck! Oh, fuck! Freeze time and space! Freeze it, freeze it! No! Who the fuck even invented cricket? I can see why it hasn't caught on in the US. This vision is like the Predator movies. We don't need to see that. Oh, it looks like the umpire just took a bullet. Let's see what happened exactly. He tries to jump over it, but he failed miserably. His brain had a choice of going up, down, left or right. Unfortunately, he chose to go up. And now he's like, oh, why the fuck did I leave my box on the bedroom dresser? Even the great Brian Lara took one in the family jewels from time to time. Back in the days when Australians had big fuck-off moustaches and doctors were more hands-on with their treatment. Anyway, hands off cocks, on with socks. The game always goes on. 2017, an Aussie man is just, well, he's the same. He's the same. He's still so great and a great source of entertainment for me and uh, hopefully for you on the show as well. So getting into cricket to start the year, well, the Kyle Abbott's um, coal pack and then the Riley Rousseau coal pack and, oh, geez, the coal pack thing. And people were losing it on Twitter. People were getting so irate about the fact that uh, people were leaving and they sort of absconding from the Proteus cause and blah, blah, blah. Look, I mean, that's the conversation I think has been had already. Um, you know, it's January 16th. It's old news now. So let's just look at the year, but let's just first get into a couple of those thoughts because the year ahead for the Proteas involves a whole bunch, right? So we've got Sri Lanka currently here. Um, there's the Champions Trophy. There's tour against England to go to New Zealand. We'll get into this in a bit, but it's all with Russell Domingo at the helm, right? And here's a guy that everyone's been given a lot of, well, given a lot of flack for the fact that he's not really much of a leader. He doesn't really know what he's doing. But then he was very sort of outspoken about the whole Kyle Alberts and Riley Rousseau thing. So I think on the back of this, as my good friend Simi RF says, maybe we should be giving um, Russell Domingo a bit more respect and here's some thoughts about this whole Colpac thing. Okay, this is just a reporter asking a question. Before that, we actually played all this test match as well, guys, before. <laughs> anyway, uh, but Riley, really disappointed. Look, in the day, I haven't heard from Riley since we left Australia, to be honest. Some of us have tried to get hold of him, and this is the truth. Some of us tried to get hold of him. We got an email off his iPhone yesterday telling us his side call back. Um, he spelled my name. An email off an iPhone. That's got to be the first biggest this or just that's the that's the first biggest put down of 2017 um hi guys yeah sign a call pack not going to be here much longer thanks for paying for my injuries uh bye and then at the bottom is like riley sent from iphone okay so that's the second disc actually okay firstly you send an email from your iphone and you spell the coach's name wrong <laughs> jesus riley Russo is having a shocker Oh, and then the video has a shock. It's gone. It's just gone. So you get the point there. I think, um, we will maybe, if this, if this resurrects itself again throughout the year, we'll get back into it. But the whole Colpack thing, understanding where players are, understanding where the futures of players are, and if people are on the same page, that was a big question around the protest. But let's not dwell on that because I still, I always believe, same with rugby. Yes, it's not great that we lose talent overseas, especially when it's primed first choice talent because it takes a lot to nurture people into that position. Harun Logat and Russell Domingo made a big thing about the fact that you're investing in players. You're not just giving them contracts and they're going to play for a team. You're essentially investing them to become these first-choice players you can depend upon and can really deliver under pressure. So when they go, you've then got to reinvest with someone, which takes time and money. Two things that you don't really want to kind of expend if you've already got something. It's like having your car stolen with no car insurance. You know, it's just it's just a mess. So to get into what the Proteus year ahead looks like, well... Uh, geez, Sri Lanka, they got a dicking in that test series. I mean, they were just so absolutely listless in that, in that wondrous test. But now we get onto ODIs. Now, the big part about the ODIs is that it looks like, um, AB de Villiers will be coming back. So they're first going to play three T20s. Fehan Behardin is going to captain the first two. People again were all irate about that, but there's no one else. And you know, the guys paid his dues. Uh, one of the games will be taking place his home ground as well. So fair dues to Fehan. I hope he does it. Behardin time for the win on that one. And uh, a chance to obviously try some new talent. So in the third T20, AB might be back for that. All the other stars will have to be back for that. And then it goes into the ODI series. Now, the ODIs are hugely important this year because it's Champions Trophy year. So whenever the Proteus get a chance to win ICC silverware, it generally goes badly. But here we've got a good chance to start it off. So we're starting against Sri Lanka. Always a pretty handy team in ODIs. Uh, they did get a thrashing against Australia at home. 
And obviously, they're a team that's rebuilding after the Jay Ward and the Sangokari era. So we've got five ODIs there, which is a really big um, key moment there. There's no Riley Rousseau. There's no Kyle Abbott. Those two guys were going to be dead certs in there, right? They're not going to be there. We've got Faf Dupassi, David de Villiers, Hashim Amla, uh, Dale Stan probably also out. So you've got a different sort of core that's kind of evolved. We've still got a few key players. Quinton Cock is now obviously right up there with the seniority because he's such a dead set pick. So there's a couple of guys they've got to now trial in this ODI series that's uh, to replace Rousseau and Abbott. We've definitely got the players totally okay with that. So that's why we look at it now. Then off they go to New Zealand, right? So February the 17th to March the 28th. They're going to be in New Zealand. They're going to be playing test matches and all that kind of stuff. A very interesting test sort of uh, challenge. Now, New Zealand just took a huge score against Bangladesh. They did manage to win the test, but um, didn't do so well in the greatest scheme. Bangladesh aren't that great. But they were very sort of convincing against the Pakistan team, which then went on to lose to the Aussies. So this test series in New Zealand is going to be very interesting to see how they deal with... Um, of course, Kyle Everett would have been perfect for this year of, of Proteus Cricket. Playing New Zealand, SEMA-friendly cricket. Uh, playing in England, SEMA-friendly cricket. So how are they going to re- um, sort of replace them? It's a big year for Wayne Parnell because he now gets the chance. It's a big year for the Dwayne Ulefe, he now gets the chance. So I still think SA Cricket's in a really good, good spot. It's how they develop it and how the senior players can just keep on giving because we can't really afford the senior players to have a bit of a lull. Hashim Amla being a prime example of that, and then obviously in terms of Teth, he came back. So the SA Tour of England, that's going to be the big cricket focus for the year. So May 24, 27, 29, we start off with the ODIs. Now, this is key because hopefully the protests get to England. They know exactly what their base 11 is. They're not going to really tinker anymore, and they can use those three games as a final dress rehearsal with an existing first-choice 11 to play in the Champions Trophy. The Champions Trophy then takes place on the 1st to the 18th of June. As you know, the Champions Trophy is basically a World Cup without any of the Minnow teams. So it's the top eight teams in the world, and they go at it. And all being well, we can get sunshine in England. We don't want to see any Duckworth Lewis. We don't want to see any rained out games, because if there's rain in the atmosphere, it will screw South Africa over. We even saw it in the last World Cup, and they're going great guns against New Zealand in New Zealand. And that rain really, really just killed the momentum when Fuff and Abu were doing so well. So that's Champions Trophy, 1st to 18th of June. Then June 21, 23, 25, we've got T20s in England, which doesn't mean a whole bunch. It's basically just to get the guys back as a team. And, uh, well, let's be honest. If the guys don't win T20s, we're not going to be too upset, are we? Not really. The big thing, though, July 6th, July 14th. Um, no, I think I've cocked this up. No. Sorry. July 6th, July 14th, July 27th, August 4th. Those are all test matches against England. I know, right? Four test series. That's amazing. So that's going to be a real big thing. So how this test team evolves from during the New Zealand series, how it sort of, you know, stays sort of there, thereabouts through the off season as far as test cricket is concerned. It'll be very interesting to see what happens now with our batting lineup. Will AB be in that test series? Will he be a test cricketer still? Will Temba Bavuma have been dropped or whether he have regained his position and of prominence as number six? So many things to be seen out, but you can't go there in the seeming conditions and not know what you're doing, which is going to be uh, something that obviously the team's going to work really, really hard on. So, huge year, and that's only up until August. From there, October, November, Bangladesh do come to South Africa. They'll play two tests, three, three ODIs and two T20s. Then India come through to South Africa during the primetime summer season, and then going to early next year, we've got the Aussies coming as well. Bloody good cricket year, is it not? Uh, also with that is um, the Ashes. Now, as we all know, the Ashes is Australia versus England. It happens way too often when you think in the greater scheme of things. I mean, if you just look at the best batsmen last year in Test cricket, they were mostly English players because England just played so many Test matches. So there's another five coming out here. Basically from November the 23rd all the way through to January the 8th, there'll be Test cricket, Australia versus England in Australia. Main dynamics of play here, you think England might actually go into this test series as a more settled unit. They've got a good side. Whether Alistair Cook's, well, sorry, Alistair Cook, um, stays on as skipper, that'll be the only big question point. Aussies, well, they're looking a whole bunch better at the moment as we stand here in January. Um, you know, they just, they were so unsettled against Africa. Thankfully, they had an out of sorts Pakistan team to kind of resurrect whatever they had going. And uh, under Steve Smith, well, lots of question marks over his captaincy, but things have sort of, you know, leveled out a bit. And he is, of course, your first choice world's best batsman at the stage, so he'll be in that. So that's cricket. 
lots and lots and lots of bloody crickets and so many great chances for the Proteus to really do great things this year. Um, you know, you want to be positive, of course, around that. And although we are going to lose a couple more players to Colpack deals and, of course, losing Everton Rousseau already. Uh, but, yeah, the big question is how much of it is going to be A.B. de Villiers involved? Uh, how much of it is going to see Dale Stain coming back? Will Mourne and Morkel ever come back? Can Kakisa Rabada keep going? There's many, many questions, but I'll get into this when this show becomes an actual blog post. The next thing we need to look at is football. Well, it's no point getting into the dates of that because you know what's going to happen, really. The PSL kicks off again after AFCON. AFCON's currently happening with all the big teams in Africa buying, well, well, Bafana don't really make that. Nigeria aren't there either. So AFCON's going to be very interesting, but uh, there's no point even talking about winners or losers because there's been seven different teams in the last five finals. You know, just pick whoever. Um, you know, Zimbabwe drew with Algeria yesterday, so you, your guess is as good as mine on that one. So after AFCON, PSL will pick up again, and it just comes down to the question, really, can anyone catch Sundowns? They're just such a great side. They've got great continuity. Um, they've got this great 10-year plan that Patrice Motsepe revealed last week. They've got money. They've got a CAF Champions League title behind them. It's just a really good side. So if anyone can catch them, it's going to be the, the sort of PSL sort of focus. I don't think so. I think there's a team with a lot of belief in the fact that it went on and did so well in the continent last year. Other teams are going to go so above and beyond to even try to keep track with them. The real interesting thing is going to be this English Premier League. Now, I know the Italian League, sorry, the Spanish League is better. Just look at the Champions League and who gets through to understand the better football. But what it always comes down to is what is the better story? Now, I firmly believe the English Premier League still is top of the charts here. We've got a top six, a very interesting top six right now, if we were to look at it. Um, get my notes up here. Top six of the English Premier League right now sees Chelsea on top, and good value as well. Thoroughly deserved. They've been a great side there. That really long winning streak, which is eventually finished off by uh, Spurs, um, just started this year. So what we have to, to look forward to here is what's going to happen with, with them. Is Chelsea going to stay firm? They're currently seven points clear of Spurs, okay? who are in the same points as Liverpool. So Liverpool, what they do from here is going to be very interesting. They need more players. Their defense is a bit shaky. It's all good and well saying we can score more goals in the opposition, but that kind of puts you in a position where, well, Liverpool's either going to finish second or they're going to finish sixth. Spurs, you've got to think, are going to melt away as soon as it gets warmer in England, like they always do. So can Arsenal challenge? No. Arsenal are currently in fourth, and I think out of respect for Arsene Wenger's last season, or potentially last season, you never know, this guy might sign a new deal, it's only fitting that Arsenal would finish fourth on Arsenal's last year because that's pretty much what he's given them. He's given them middle of the road. We make Champions League. We finish fourth. We are respectable. Can the Manchester clubs do anything? Well, Man City are going backwards. Pep Guardiola. It's just it just hasn't worked. Uh, the defense is in tatters. He's wanted you know, real playmakers throughout the season. Hasn't worked. Uh, I would say he's lost hair. He didn't really have any to start with. Um, and he's even talking about retirement. You know, you never heard Pep talking about that when he was with Barcelona or with Bayern Munich. It didn't happen. So it hasn't gone well for Man City. They put so much money into him and making them this huge side that kicks on from other successes. It's not going to work there. Man United, they're currently in sixth. So Man City 42 points, uh, Arsenal 44, Man United 40. You've got to think they're a little bit far behind. They still need a season or two to really, really flourish into a team that's going to go and, and contest against the best. So sitting here, of 21 games, you got to think Chelsea are looking dead set favourites. And unless, unless Spurs can just keep their shape, they can keep winning and they can keep scoring goals. They look great against Chelsea when they played them recently. And that would be the English Premier League, which will end in uh, August, as usual. Uh, there's the League Cup, there's FA Cup, all that kind of stuff. Really does pale in significance compared to the rest. Which then goes on to Champions League. And you got to think, as Real Madrid are... Are huge favourites of that one. Uh, Barcelona, of course, they do have such an amazing strike force. They're going to be other team to watch. Can't see English team doing it. I can't see a German team doing it. It's going to be back to the Spanish teams. Whether they can have an all Spanish final, which happens all the time, well, I wouldn't put it wouldn't put it past them. They really are just above and beyond all of the rest. So that's football in a nutshell for the 2017 year. There's no funny tournaments outside of um, well, Afcon. There's no Euros. There's no World Cup. Anything like that. Uh, which then leads us on to Formula One. Now, I get a lot of flack for not doing a lot of Formula One on this show, 
Mostly because I don't believe it's a sport. I believe it's a marketing exercise. But there's a lot of fans, and uh, whether you like Formula One or not, I gotta, I gotta acknowledge it at the very least. And uh, one of the big things is that because it ended so interesting last year. Um, so uh, I forgot his name already. Nico Rosberg. Okay, so he won the overall driver standing over Lewis Hamilton. Hamilton believed him to be the better driver, and I think in Abu Dhabi he showed he really much was the better driver. But mechanical failure robbed Hamilton of key points. So uh, Rosberg went on and won. And then as soon as the hangover sort of wore from that, he said, well, thanks, guys. It's been amazing. I'm going to quit right now. Leaving Mercedes in a rather precarious position because they are the best team. Okay, So they've got the best two cars on the track. Everyone knows it. No matter what happens at Ferrari or Red Bull or Williams or insert whatever name you want, none of them have been as good as Mercedes. It's been as simple as that. They're just quicker. They're better, they're faster. Everything is so much, so much more reliable, and that they had the drivers' championship sewn up in no time. I mean, just after half to halfway through the season. So whoever replaces Rosberg is going to have an amazing car. Okay, so now there hasn't been any confirmation just yet on who Mercedes is going to have that, but um, Valtteri Bottas looks like the, I suppose, inside man for this job. Um, it hasn't been confirmed. It will be confirmed basically around this week, I'd imagine, and it needs to happen quite soon. Just to look at the schedule for the F1 for the year. Now, these guys have got to go do a whole bunch of testing, right? So it's not like they just rock up, they get in the car and see how it goes in the practice rounds. There's all kinds of testing. There's all kinds of tweaking. There's team dynamics to sort out. There is strategies. It's it's a real technical thing, this F1. So that it starts March 26th in Australia in Melbourne. It's a great. It's the first quarter, everything happens in Melbourne. And then we go China, Bahrain, Russia, Spain, Monaco, Canada, Azerbaijan, Austria, Britain, Hungary, Belgium, Italy, Singapore, Malaysia, Japan, USA, Mexico, Brazil, and then the big finish in Abu Dhabi. So that's your big that's your big uh, schedule for the year. Nothing's really changing there. But the big talking point for the F1 is all the sort of changes. Now, there's always changes. A lot of people find very trivial about this. But now the cars are going to change. This is the big talking point for F1 fans is that the cars are going to look better they're going to be wider. They're going to be sort of more aggressive in aesthetics. It's the first time aesthetics have really come into the whole change because up until now, it's all about being like, you know, finding lighter components, um, greater fuel efficiency, uh, downforce, aerodynamics, all that other kind of crap. Um, but now they, they physically want to get bigger, better looking cars. So the cars will be wider. The tires are going to be wider. And they say that, well, the cars are going to go faster. What kind of speed, though? That's the big thing. Does this mean that overtaking is going to become easier, be more entertaining? Well, Lewis Hamilton doesn't believe it will be because the car is going to get more downforce. So even though they might be up to three seconds quicker in places here and there around the world, it's not going to really make the the, the, the race any more exciting. So the cars will get faster, but they won't become more agile. They're not going to become more nimble. All this downforce is going to kind of negate that. So if you are an F1 fan, right now I guess it's who's going to be the second guy who's going to be in the team Mercedes and um well it's going to be it's going to be hamilton's to lose it really is there's nothing more to it the guy was the best driver in the last few years and uh, i think when it comes to team orders there's no way a guy first year out in f1 is going to be able to uh believe he's on, a, on an even kill with hamilton now i'm saying that because all the other big names in f1 are already in contracts so, that, so mercedes couldn't go all right cool well we got the best car so we can get the second best driver no they can't because everyone's already tied into contracts might happen in future but at the moment, it's going to be Lewis Hamilton, some other guy, and a whole bunch of other teams. That's F1. On to golf. Now, it's going to be another huge golfing year. Um, like I said, I went to the SA Open at Glendower over the weekend. And I got to walk kind of really, really close to Rory McIlroy inside the ropes. And what I learned about the golf game, about the golf swing, and about what superstar sports people do to an event, it, it was such an amazing experience. So to look at what's going to go down golf-wise, well, just look at the, the big schedule, right? So everything obviously go, hinges around the majors. So we've got the four majors as per usual. We've also got the President's Cup. And uh, with that, that's the watered-down version of the Ryder Cup, essentially, where America beats the, all the rest of the world. So to diarize your majors, 6th to 9th of April, we've got the Masters. 15th to 18th June, we've got the U.S. Open. That this year we played in Erin Hills. So that's newcomer to the rotation there. Stunning course, not a lot of trees. If it's any sort of wind, it's going to be treacherous. And of course, uh, they're going to try and make it as impossible as possible to play. Uh, really, really fast greens, uh, stupid slopes, and um, rules officials trying to be really, really anal. Then 20th to 23rd of July, we've got the Open Championship at Royal Birkdale. That's another old favorite. 
And then last year, the Olympics did cock things up a bit schedule-wise, so we're back to normal. After that will be the PGA Championship. will take place at Quail Hollow, uh, 10th to 13th of, of August. So the year has started well. Justin Thomas just won back-to-back on the US PGA Tour. He is now 8th in the world ranking. He started off two weeks ago. He was 22nd. He's now 8th. So the battle for number one is going to be fiercer than ever. Roy McIlroy, who is the world number two, is he's got some back issues currently, but uh, I think that'll be not be fine. It's more of a um, more of a sort of uh, what's the word like a safety first kind of way of going about it. He said he's had some fatigue from trying out new clubs, which has been the the big story so far in the golfing world. Rory's, Rory's new clubs. The guy's got loads of money. He can just tinker. He doesn't need to sign any more deals. Play the clubs you want to do, and that'd be the most fun. Tiger's obviously going to come back, but that's not going to get into the greater scheme of um, the top guys. Let's be honest. Tiger, he's he's past it. He's he's well past his prime, and uh, the, the golf has kind of moved on since since he was so dominant. So to go into the official world golf rankings to see what, the, what this race is going to be. Now, Jason Day has been, well, he's been great for quite some time. Um, he's been world number one for 46 weeks in his career now. So he currently stands as the world number one. Then we've got McElroy, who is, uh, he's behind, but not a huge amount. And Day's got decently at the top there. Number three is Dustin Johnson. Number four is Henrik Stenson. Number five is Jordan Spieth. And then number six, probably the greatest golfer in the last sort of three, four months. He was on fire during the, the, um, the end of year sort of beginning. Hideki Matsuyama. So he won Tigers tournament. He finished second in the Tour of Championships um, winners tournament in Hawaii, just beaten by Justin Thomas. So that's usually top six right now. I know we are neglecting to mention Adam Scott's still number seven. Justin Thomas, I mentioned he's number eight. Patrick Reed's number nine. Alex Norin's number 10. But you've got to look at that top six and go, these are the guys who you're going to think are going to be your first look at, at major winners. Justin Thomas, though, does hit the ball really long. Form golfer, you can probably throw him in there too. Patrick Reed, after being so dominant in the Ryder Cups and showing some good form in the, on the actual tours, you've got to think he's in there as well. So you've got one of the most competitive golfing years ever. I mean, in, in recent memory, I, I can't think of a year to be more excited about going into all the big tournaments. Jason Day, he's been very selective with the tournaments he plays. He probably plays the least out of all of these guys. You know, he kind of believes, I think in his mind, his golfing career is going to be, it's not going to be a long one. It's going to be get in there, get out, play as hard as you can, swing as hard as you can, and just try to capitalize on that. So it's a huge year ahead for him. Roy McElroy as well. So much to prove. You know, this is a guy who he's definitely on his day, and you can say this by lots of people, but on his day, Rory is just a cut above the rest. He's just so much natural talent, ability, composure. He's just such an incredible player. And it'll irk him that he's not the world's best. And, uh, you know, he, having been still a world player as well, and that he competes in both the US and the European Tour, huge schedule demands there, massive schedule demands on and off of the golf course. So maybe a slightly more difficult job for him, but he's going to be so fired up. Dustin Johnson had a real breakout season last year, and he won his first major. Obviously, that guy's had his troubles with cocaine and womanizing in the past. But here's a guy who knows exactly what is needed to be functioning at the top top level. Henrik Stenson finally won his first major last year as well. There's another guy who understands his career hasn't got a lot more years in it. He's probably got two, three at the top there. He's in his early 40s. This is another pivotal year for him. Jordan Spieth, when he came out in his breakthrough year and he won his first two majors and came so close to winning the third and the fourth one, Here's another guy who then sort of had a slump in his own high standards, but he's looking good. And uh, like I said, Aki Matsuyama is a great guy. If he can just hold putts, he's in the same category as all the rest of them. One of the big kind of talking points from golf, though, and I will be writing a blog post about it this week, is South Africa's best golfers. Now, I just said how amazing the SA Open was, and it really was something to be proud of. If you were there, you know exactly what, you, what I'm talking about. If you weren't there, well, it, it's it, it was such an amazing world event as far as the great crowds, great golf course, everything worked really well. It looked great on TV. It really was just well done. It was fantastically well done. The European Tour, of course, co-sanctioning with the Sunshine Tour, um, do a great thing. Uh, so much credit to them. But the fact that there was no Brandon Grace, the fact that there was no Louis Tazen, the fact that there was no Charles Watzel, this is a really big thing because I watched that event of the weekend, and I, as a 35-year-old man, want to get out and hit the range and play. So you can imagine, for a sport that needs more fresh-faced people coming into it, and from all walks of life, to get inspired by watching Roy McIlroy, it, it really is amazing, and it makes such a massive difference. We, you know, we all know we need more sports in this world, less politics, and less the other crap. 
So to have an event that is so all-consuming and so engaging like that, and you still can't get the likes of SA's top three golfers in there, it's very sad, and it's sad for various reasons. Like, they all got their reasons, of course. Um, I think Lewis Tayson cites the fact that it's the start of the school year for his kids, and there's lots to work out. I'm calling bullshit, but I mean, everyone's entitled to their reasons. Charles Watts did have a knee injury, so he couldn't make it. Um, he was planning to play in Hawaii and America anyway. And Brandon Grace, you know, he had the opportunity to go play in that tournament in Hawaii because he won last year on the USPGA Tour. That's a career choice he's made. They've all got their reasons, and they're completely entitled to do whatever the hell they want. But you've got to think, this is a huge, huge thing for SA Golf and for South Africa in total. If you can get those guys playing in an, in an event, it's easier for anyone else to then go to the big players in the world and say, look, guys, I really want you to come play my tournaments, um, the host, the SA Open. Obviously, we raise a whole bunch of money for, for charity. We've got, uh, we had Roy McIlroy last year. This year, we've got all the best SA golfers. We the European tour. So it's going to be a real big deal. But if Ernie can't even say that his sort of, um, I don't know, next generation, his successes are going to play his own event. It doesn't look great. You know, there's only so many favors you can, you can ask for. Those guys need to come to the party as well, because especially in the case of Brandon Grace, only else has given a whole bunch of those guys. And I think it's high time they start repaying it because they snubbed the World Cup. They snubbed the Olympics. They're not really there. Um, and I know it's about being strategic with your schedule when you're a top golfer, but there's always space to give just to pay it back a bit and pay it forward. So I'll be writing a slightly more in-depth thing about that. And uh, you can get that on the bounce uh, this week. Next up, we've got tennis. And it's pretty much going to be, is it going to be Andy or is it going to be Novak? It's the big Murray versus Djokovic show this year. Murray had the better of uh, Djokovic last year in 2016. Uh, Murray went through and he finished 2016 as the world number one. And I uh, defended his Olympic gold. He won majors, did all kinds of amazing things. So all credit to him. The year started off with these two playing a final in Qatar. Qatar call it what you want and uh, Novak Djokovic came out ahead there now as we all know Novak Djokovic six time Aussie Open champion so looking as the favourite to go into this first major Andy Murray five times runner up so throughout the year we've got the Aussie Open happening right now okay right now here in January then the French Open will be 29th May 11th of June got to think again Andy Murray Novak Djokovic there will be other people who will contend throughout the year but what makes this rivalry so great is these two guys can play on all surfaces and they've got such amazing determination to be the greatest. And no like no discredit to Kane Shikori or Stan Wawrinka or anyone else, but these are the two guys who are going to make this year about them. It's it's just it's vying for that world number one, it's vying for the trophies, it's for the best. It really is the greatest matchup. Wimbledon will take place on the third to the sixteenth of July. And then the US Open, the hard court one will be on the 28th of August to the 10th of September. So, huge year for tennis, massively exciting, and you know you want to be all over that, especially for the majors. The other stuff, eh, maybe not so much. Uh, Formula One, we've covered. Tennis, we've covered. Other things to look out for this year. Well, if you're into NBA, you know, the Cavaliers, I wouldn't say it was an upset, the fact they beat Golden State last year, but it wasn't exactly to be expected, seeing as Golden State was so dominant throughout the year. That rivalry is back. That's going to be huge. In uh, fighting, you know, it's a big deal. Conor McGregor, he had that little slip up where he went up a weight division and he lost, but otherwise he went back to where he should belong. And uh, there's no competition, really. Now, we all know Floyd Money Mayweather, he retired, hates Conor McGregor so much. These two, they just generally do not like each other. So the one saying, well, you must come and fight in the octagon. That's what Conor McGregor believes. It must be hand-to-hand combat. None of this certain code thing. We must just fight. And whoever wins, wins. So um, Mayweather believes that that's bullshit. He must be, it must be a boxing fight. So they must be in the ring. And then Conor McGregor must come and box against him. So either way, if Mayweather goes into the octagon, McGregor's going to win. If McGregor goes into uh, the boxing ring... Mayweather's going to win. So it's been kind of billed as the $100 million fight because McGregor wants $100 million just to go into if it's boxing. And then Mayweather wants $100 million to go and fight him. So I don't think it's ever going to be resolved. Mayweather's not getting any younger. And there's no way one of them will, will go into the more unfamiliar territory. Um, Usain Bolt will retire this year. So at the World IWF Championships in London on August the 4th will be the last time we'll ever see the greatest athlete of all time. And that is Usain Bolt. It's not worth debating. He really is the greatest specimen to ever go into athletics. And he just is shown it. Three Olympic Games. All three times he's won the 100 meters, the 200 meters, and been part of the winning team of the 100, uh, 4x100 relay. 
I don't think it ever happened again. This guy was a freak of nature. He's given so much to the sport. He's now 30 years old, and he is going to bow out at the Olympic Stadium in London. That is his final swan song. 4th of August, let's look out for. And as well, in athletics, look out for what Wade Finneker can do from here. It's such an amazing year last year. He won the world championships. He then went on to the Olympics and set a new world record from lane eight. Um, it's just this guy, he's, he's done it all, really. And, you know, in the earlier stages of his career, people don't really know this, but he wasn't the most incredible athlete. He wasn't like really impressing absolutely everyone. He was just good. He was just there, thereabouts, but he worked so bloody hard. And that's why he kind of came in the global scheme of things, kind of came out of nowhere. I know Laureus are looking to kind of nominate him as the breakthrough of the year, I think, in category, the Laureus Sports Awards. And he read that he came through and um, he surprised a lot of people internationally. Obviously, here in South Africa, we knew of him, and we knew of him as a huge sort of talent. But now, what can you do with it? That second year, the second carry-on from all the great achievements, we've seen it with it be actors in movies, uh, golfers on tour. It's a tough thing to be able to do because once you hit the top, you realize the hardest thing. I mean, the easy part actually was kind of getting there. The hardest thing is always staying there. So what they can do from there is going to be so interesting, him and his team. Um, same goes for Costa Semenya. Same goes for all the rest of our athletes. There's a big year ahead. That pretty much wraps it up for this show. Uh, like I said, I'm going to put all of this into one big blog post for you so you can reference it for the year going ahead. As I said, the Bounce Show will be changing slightly, slightly more interesting interviews, um, different sort of features. Uh, these kind of things will all change in time. The show itself will still be your go-to sporting platform. So worry not. Uh, you At any given stage, you are most welcome to sort of chime in. Uh, let me know what you want more of, what you want more, less of. I'm always here to take your suggestions. The show is always about you. And uh, with that, 2017 is underway. I think, sports-wise. Anyway, catch you back next week. Monday will be the live show, 10 to 11, here on Cliff Central. Otherwise, you can find the podcast on cliffcentral.com. If you go into the Bounce Show homepage or on thebounce.co.za, there'll be the podcast, plus there'll be all the other things, all the big clips you hear, and all the other features and stories will be all there on one blog post, conveniently for you, every Monday around sort of midday. Yeah, that's it. Cool. All on board, 2017, big year. We're going to be nice and positive, and hopefully everything then will just sort of carry on from that. Thanks for joining me. Catch you up soon. Is this thing on? You're listening to The Bounce Show. It's live. Well, not this bit, but it's live on CliveCentral.com. Um, it's Cliff Central, Blatt. <clears throat> Sorry. Scrap that. Delete it. CliffCentral.com. CliffCentral.com.